following message is presented by Erie Evangelical Free Church in Erie, Illinois. We are a church that exists for the good of our community and are proud to share the gospel of Jesus Christ as we seek to know him and make him known. All right, so how are we all doing this morning? Good? Wonderful. Well, it's a pleasure to be here with you all this morning, and I think I can speak for John and Ron and myself when I say that it is truly a great privilege for the three of us to be allowed the honor to present a message in front of this church body. And I mean it with all my heart when I say that I can't think of a better church body to give my, mer- my first message in front of than you guys. Now, when Pastor Jonathan approached me about the possibility of giving a sermon while he's out on sabbatical, my first thought was, ah, I'm not real sure about that. But then I thought about it a little longer, and I said, oh, heck, Yes. And my mind started racing about ways in which I could shoehorn Star Wars into this sermon. <laughs> because I am a huge Star Wars fan. The irony. Guys, I was driving here this morning and looked and noticed I got Luke Skywalker and his tauntaun on my socks this morning. And I think at one point, I sent Pastor Jonathan a message jokingly that these three points that we're going to talk today dealt with Darth Vader, Yoda, and Obi-Wan Kenobi. <laughs> But I regretfully have absolutely zero Star Wars references in this message, which to me is unacceptable. So the story that we are about to read is found in the book of Daniel, chapter 3. And it takes place a long time ago in a galaxy not so far, far away. (laughs) Now to bring you up to speed where we find ourselves in chapter 3, we have to go back a little bit to the previous chapter. So... In the previous chapter, Nebuchadnezzar was a king of Babylon. And we find Nebuchadnezzar getting his dreams interpreted by Daniel. And at the end of that story, King Nebuchadnezzar thanks Daniel for interpreting his dream and praises Daniel's God, saying, Surely your God is the God of gods and Lord of kings. Because Daniel interprets Nebuchadnezzar's dream, he puts Daniel and his friends, here we go, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, in high places in the Babylonian kingdom. And Daniel is made ruler over all of Babylon, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are made administrators over the province of Babylon at Daniel's request. Okay, so I like to read scripture, and since I'm in charge today, and you guys can't say anything about it, we're going to read all 30 verses. So bear with me. I see the looks on your faces, but I'll summarize it at the end. So before we get to our first point, I'm going to read. So if you have a Bible or as Pastor Jonathan says, electronic device with the word of the Lord on it. You want to open it up to Daniel chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 1, and I'm just going to read it. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, 60 cubits high by 6 cubits wide, and set it on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He then summons the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all other private provincial officials, I can't say that word, to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, nations and peoples of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into the blazing furnace. 
Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, and all kinds of music, all the nations and peoples of every nation and language fell down and worshipped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. At this time, some astrologers came forward and they denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, May the king live forever. Your majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipe, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold. And that whoever does not fall down and worship the image will be thrown into the blazing furnace. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay absolutely no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your God nor worship the image of gold that you have set up. So furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I've set up? Now when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, if you're ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what god will be able to rescue you from my hand? And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, They said, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it and your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Okay, now if you're anything like me, 15 seconds after I started reading, you tuned out. I get it. So I'm going to summarize what I just read. So it's unknown why Nebuchadnezzar, after just calling Daniel's God the God of gods in the previous chapter, makes a new God, but such was common in Babylonian history. They would make a God, they'd set it up, find it unsatisfying, and then make a new one, often more bigger than the previous one. This new God was made of gold, so, and it was 89 feet high by 9 feet wide, so it was overwhelming in size. And when the music played, everyone in the kingdom was required to fall down and worship this new image. And some Chaldeans came forward, and they told the king that there were three Jewish administrators over Babylon that were not following his rules. And if we do a little reading into the Chaldeans, it's probably safe to say that they were very jealous of Daniel and the three Jewish men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they were all too happy to rat them out to King Nebuchadnezzar. So oftentimes when we read this story, we read it from the perspective of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, which is great, which is what we're going to do for most of this today. Now I want you to put yourself in King Nebuchadnezzar's shoes for a minute. Can you imagine how angry he is? These are men that he put in a position of authority, albeit at the request of Daniel, but nonetheless they were still in authority over his province. So it's safe to say that they are leaders and examples in this community and they are outright defying his law in public. So then the king summons Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and questions them. He says, if they will not fall down and worship the idol, when the music plays, he'll throw them into the furnace. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego respond in kind by telling the king that they do not need to explain themselves to him, and they're totally fine with being thrown into the furnace. But they are not going to bow down and worship that image. They have faith that their God will deliver them, Then they go on to say that even if he doesn't deliver them, they will in no way worship or serve the king's God or his image of gold. What an incredible amount of faith that these three men showed. Now let me tell you a story about a young man who found himself at a crossroads too. 
This young man was middle school age, so 12 or 13. There's a couple of you middle school age kids in the crowd right now. And he was having an overnighter at one of his friends' house with a bunch of his buddies. And one of the guys in that party thought it would be a good idea to watch a movie with some nudity in it. And the young man had a choice to make. He could stay and watch the movie that he knew he shouldn't be watching. But his friends would think he's cool. He's one of them. They would approve of him, so to speak. And after all, a movie with nudity in it is a tough temptation for a young man to resist in itself. Or he could listen to that still, small voice in the stillness of his heart and find a way to leave that party. But he knew it wouldn't come without ridicule and embarrassment from his friends. And after much soul-searching, the young man called his dad that night to come pick him up. I would guess it was humiliating for him at the time, and I can see his friends making fun of him and calling him names. And I would bet most of his classmates found out that, mo- that next Monday at school, too. But I would venture to guess that that young man's parents was very proud of him and the decision that he made. And after all, when we're young men and women, don't we just want our parents... Don't we just want to please our parents and make them proud of us? So in this story I just told, the parallel between the young man in this story and the young men facing King Nebuchadnezzar really aren't that different, other than the fact that one is a life-and-death situation and the other is not. (laughs) Hebrews 11.6 tells us that without faith, it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego put their faith on full display when they were faced with the crossroads, telling the king they, were not, they will not fall down and worship that image. They don't want to fall down and worship the image because they will only worship their one true God, their God. They want to please him and no one else. If we follow God for any length of time, we will be met with tough situations that require us to make hard decisions. This world that we live in is antagonistic to God's word. And we as Christians are seen as outcasts, we're seen as weirdos, bigots, just to name a few. And when faced at a crossroads, we need to quiet our minds and our hearts to attentively listen for God's voice, and thus the direction he wants us to go. Now the challenging question here is how do we quiet our minds to attentively listen? Well, let's look at some scripture for some direction. The first example that comes to my mind is our brother Jesus. If you want an interesting study this week, look at what Jesus does after he performs most of his miracles. He goes off to be alone with his Father. And the key word here is alone. And that's exactly what we need to do. We need to go be alone with our Father. And when we're alone with him, we need to be silent and listen. Zechariah 2.13 tells us, Be still before the Lord, all mankind, because he has roused himself from his holy dwelling. Now I understand that this is not the easiest thing to do, especially the day and age that we live in. We are surrounded by distractions. I have a three-year-old right there that is a massive distraction every day. I wouldn't change it for the world. but, And I guarantee that many of you will be confronted with many distractions the first few times you try to be alone and silent with your father. We could probably sit here and brainstorm for an hour or two the many distractions that we've had during this week. So trust me when I say it's not an easy thing. And the first few times you may struggle to hear God's voice. But just like anything, it takes practice. So be faithful and continue to do it. And I promise you that it will become easier. 
Then comes the hard part, at least for me. Once we hear God's voice, we are called to respond accordingly by putting our faith in him and doing what he has instructed. Now at the crossroads, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had faith in their God and chose following him over King Nebuchadnezzar, which led them into a literal fire, which is where we find our next point. Obviously, this is my first sermon because I forgot the point one. So <laughs> to recap, point one is have faith at the crossroads. That's on me. Okay, point two, have faith in the fire. So now we're going to go back, open the Bible. I'm going to read verses 19 through 26. So then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace to be heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up, bound Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the furnace. So these men wearing robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes were bound and thrown into the furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who stood up, who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, your majesty. But he said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound, unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. So then King Nebuchadnezzar approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. So to summarize what we just read, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego bound up, bound up, and then they're thrown into the fire. I want to point out that fire was made seven times hotter due to the king's anger, which we referenced earlier. Once they were in the fire, the king is startled by what he sees. He jumps to his feet to get a closer look and sees four people in the furnace, not just the three. And upon closer investigation, he sees four, those four people all unharmed and unchanged. And he says that the fourth person looks like a son of the gods. Now I want you to imagine a time in your life when you were in a fire. I'm not talking about a literal fire, but a figurative fire. Something like the loss of a loved one, a struggle with an addiction, a rough time at your job. The possibilities here are endless. But I want you to think of that time right now, and I'll give you a couple seconds to think about it. Now, I don't want you to close your eyes like, like Ron had you close your eyes a couple times last week, because I'm afraid that if I have you close your eyes, half of you won't open them back up. So <laughs> keep your eyes open, and I'll give you a couple seconds to think about that fire experience that you guys have had. Okay, has everybody got one? I mean, we could think of endless ones. I got a couple from this week. So I have two, and it looks like most of you have as well. And if you haven't been through one yet, unfortunately, you will at some point in your life. These fires are things that come up in our life that are hard to deal with, things that we wish on our most bitter rival. And when you're in the fire, what are the things that you have turned to to get you through that fire? Maybe it was something like alcohol, Maybe it was blaming God for putting you in that situation. Been there. Or maybe you turned to general anger at everyone and everything around you. 
You're just not a happy person. But do you want to know what got me through and still gets me through my fires? It's God. Now, I know that probably doesn't come as a surprise. And it's an eye-roll church answer. I think Pastor Jonathan often says Sunday school answers are Sunday school answers for a reason because they're good. And he's right. There is nothing that can explain the peace and confidence that comes over us when our Heavenly Father... Now, let's take a second and talk about what I mean when I say your Heavenly Father. By Heavenly Father, I'm talking about your dad. The guy that created you and me. The guy that knows how many hairs we have on our head. The guy who knew your name before you were born. The guy who knew your life's journey before he created this universe that we exist in right now. That guy is standing with you in your fire. And he not only stands with us, but he picks us up and carries us to safety. He takes that burden for us and makes it bearable and gives us a peace that words can't describe. If not, remove that burden altogether like he did for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We need to have faith in our Father that he's bigger than the fire at hand and that he will lead us through it. Looking for our Father while we are in the fire is obviously the best thing that we can do, but how often do we actually do that? Never. Almost never. Now, I want you to notice nowhere in this passage does it specifically say that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego see or notice that God is with them in the fire. Maybe they did, maybe they didn't. But the Bible doesn't specifically say one way or another. And more often than not, we don't see God's hand on our fires until after we've come through them. This is because every fire in our life is to test our faith not to validate our understanding of our fire. I'm going to repeat that again. This is because every fire in our life is to test our faith, not to validate our understanding of the fire. So let's look at the story of Job as another example of having faith in a fire. In the beginning of Job's story, God is talking about how righteous Job is. Then Satan, the accuser, steps in and challenges God by saying, Job is only righteous because you reward him. Let him suffer, and then let's see how righteous he really is. So God agrees. And Job eventually has everything taken from him. His livestock, his servants, his children, and his health. Job is very confused and angry about why this has all happened to him. Job himself says that he's an innocent man. So he asks God why he's allowing these bad things to happen. God then answers Job by telling him that we live in a world that is not designed to prevent suffering. So bad things will happen. Job again asks God why, which is a good question. And God responds by telling him to simply trust him and put his faith in him. So Job responds in kind by humbling himself and doing just that, having faith in God and trusting in him. Now this whole story of Job, just like the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, is about God revealing the men's faith. This is not because God wanted to know if those men had faith. He's God. He already knows this. But because Job needed to know, and those men needed to know, that God was faithful and to trust him during their fire experience. Most of the time, the only way we learn about God's faithfulness is when we go through the fire and come out the other side and reflect on what God just brought us through. 
And my challenge to you is next time you find yourself in the fire, turn to your heavenly Father and have faith. Remember to have faith in the God who created this world and who created you. I think we often forget that God is bigger than the good and the bad of this world. And if we are willing to lean into him, he will offer a peace that only he can give. God will occasionally let someone else view our fire and watch what we just went through. And by doing so, he is revealing his faithfulness to those who are on looking, which is where we find our next point. Third and final point. Faith will make God known. Now we're going to finish up the text here. I'm going to read the last couple verses. So the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and his royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair on their head singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble. For no other god can save in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. So to summarize again, third and final point, what we just read, Nebuchadnezzar obviously sees the fourth person in the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and in amazement, he approaches the opening of the blazing furnace and yells for them to come out. The three men come out of the fire, are met by King Nebuchadnezzar. He notices that all three men were not burned by the fire. In fact, they don't even smell like smoke. And at the sight of this, Nebuchadnezzar, in amazement, makes a decree that all nations and languages that speak anything negative about the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces. There is no other God that is able to deliver like their God. Then the king promotes Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to end the story. So it's a happy ending as far as this is concerned. So how many of you guys have ever seen the show Duck Dynasty? I love that show. I watched it religiously, and my parents and wife can attest, when I was in middle school and high school. I don't think my brother and I missed an episode. And a couple of years ago, some of the main cast members, they started a podcast. It's called Unashamed. It's awesome. I highly recommend it. In one of the episodes, one of the main characters of Duck Dynasty, Jace, is telling a story about how he made a pact with God when he was in high school. He promised God that he would share the gospel with his classmates before graduation of his senior year, despite his fear of speaking. Now, I'm not talking public speaking like this. I'm talking speaking. He was afraid to talk to people. Uh, I lost my spot. Okay, so as you can imagine, this was a hard task for him to accomplish. So he got creative. He would tell people that he was throwing a party at his parents' house that weekend because he was more comfortable in the comfort of his own home. So he'd tell a little white lie, which I don't recommend, but tell people that he was having a party at his parents' house. So the people would come preparing to do what young rebellious teenagers do, and when they opened the door to that house, there would be Jace sitting on that couch, Bible in hand. 
and he'd just lay into him and start giving him the gospel without letting him leave. He would tell his friends the story about Jesus. And many of them, as you can imagine, didn't respond but awkwardly left. So jump to a few years down the road, and he says every so often his phone would ring, many times in the middle of the night. And it would be one of those classmates that he shared Jesus with. He said the phone call would often go something like this. Hey, I'm such and such. you remember me? He said, not really. Well, we went to high school together, and I remember that time you shared Jesus with me. And at that time, I thought it was crazy, and I wanted absolutely nothing to do with it. Well, I've had a lot of thinking about it. I've done a lot of thinking about it and been through some rough times in my life. And I have observed how you and your family live your life. And I'm ready to live just like that. And I want to give my life to Jesus. Jace's story here is not all that different than this little part of the message that we just, little part of the scripture that we just read. Jace went through his fire, which was sharing the gospel to his classmates. It was a very hard and vulnerable thing for him to do. And when he came out the other side, his observers, or his classmates, were changed and glorified God. Granted, in Jace's story, it took years for God to be glorified, as where in the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, it took just minutes, if not seconds, for God to be glorified. Because once the three men came out the other side of the fire, they had no idea the impact that it had on Nebuchadnezzar and that group around him. But based on the actions of Nebuchadnezzar following the deliverance of the three men out of the fire, Nebuchadnezzar and his advisors were mere inches away from believing in God. Our faith is not defined by our thoughts, our ideas, or intellectual pursuits. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego displayed their faith by steadfastness and by enduring the fire. It was there that God used them, not because of their head knowledge, but by active obedience. You and I cannot be content to know the facts, stories, and theological truths about God. If we are to display our love, grace, and mercy through our faith, it must be a faith in action. James 2, 17-20 says, In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds. I will show you my faith by my deeds. So my question to you, to wrap up this last point, is how is our faith on display? How is the gospel evident through the way that we love our spouse, discipline our children, treat our mailman, speak to our server, serve our employer, or even go to church? or even give to our church. So church, let's be a people that shows faith in the crossroads, shows faith in the fire, and a faith that makes God known. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you'd like more information about Erie Evangelical Free Church or our ministries, please visit www.eriefree.com or join us in person at 1409 16th Avenue, Erie, Illinois.